And how many years did you actually run the business for? Three years. Three years. And then one year I was a coach, but the coach opportunity at the time was you basically supported people through the spring into July. And then you stopped because the idea was once they're in July, they've got it figured out. And they were trying to save their dollars because the business was just starting to really make money. So during that time, I went to Europe for eight weeks. Um, that was that was when I graduated. And then um, I also, you know, was a coach, a full-time coach later on, um, a couple of years later. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. We have a really special episode for our 300th episode. Not many podcasts ever reach 300 episodes. We will be going 300 and beyond. Um, we're really excited about what the Leaders of Tomorrow episode, uh, podcast has brought. But uh, we, over the past um, while, we've we've had feedback from uh, our leaders uh, listening and said, "Hey, what about you know? Hey, turn the mic around and have have someone ask you questions." So. Basically, this, this interview is led by John Cameron, one of our business coaches, and he is asking me questions. And um, we have a fantastic conversation about the history of student works. And, and, and um, he asked me all sorts of questions about what we're up to, what we're looking to accomplish and um, how we got here. So I think you'll love the conversation. I certainly did. And you know what we're about? is finding amazing young leaders. So if you know anyone, please send them my way. Thompson at studentworks.com. Hit the link in the show notes and uh, or you could forward this podcast if you found it interesting to a friend uh, to hear about what we are up to and what we're looking to create. Thanks so much. Have a super fantastic day. John. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. We were just talking before the show. You know, the the, the microphone has now been turned to me, and uh, I really, uh, I'm really not really aware of any questions that you're going to ask, like uh, like our guests. And uh, excited to um, to have this podcast. I know numerous times people have asked me, "Well, gee, you know, it'd be great to have someone interview you." So, uh, so John Cameron, let's get started. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. And yeah, I'm very excited because I feel like we've gotten so many little bits and pieces of your story and different pieces of the puzzle. And I'm excited to like put a bunch of those together today and uh, yeah, create a really awesome picture. So looking back to before you had ever heard about the program, can you tell us like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur or? Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, my thoughts around that is I was powerfully impacted by a number of teachers, you know, so, so not all my teachers, but a number of teachers really made an impact on me. So I, so I, so I thought teaching would be a cool thing. And I understood that working inside a government structure probably wouldn't be something that would really interest me. I had, you know, bigger goals, bigger aspirations. I had it already a result of the results economy, although I couldn't have named that term at the time. 
And also I had three Olympic coaches who I coached, who had coached me, I guess, by the time I went to university. So I'd really been powerfully impacted by coaching. And I really thought coaching would be a really cool thing. Similar though, most swimmers, swimming coaches are elite previous swimmers. I wasn't quite that elite. And I saw similar impacts of just how high the mountain could be in that area. So really, I saw myself as an entrepreneur. So I really saw myself, uh, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. Didn't really know, again, how that, how that would shape up, but I thought that would be it. And then, you know, the other thing is, is I thought I might go to law school. Uh, that kept me motivated during school. My father was a very successful attorney, and I thought that uh, that might be a great way to, uh, to get a head start in business as well. Understanding the law is one of the really critical aspects of being successful, especially in bigger businesses, although it's, it's important in smaller businesses as well, but especially in bigger businesses. Mm-hmm. So you, you studied history at the University of Toronto, correct? Yes, I did. So when did you end up actually joining Student Works or Student Painters at the time? Can you tell us like how you heard about it, what that yeah. process was like? Yeah. So the, the first person I met or re-met at the University of Toronto at an orientation at St. Mike's College, University of Toronto has, I think it's seven really big colleges and to try to create more community on campus. It's a downtown college. I met Martha McDonald and she was a friend who I knew through high school. And, um, and she later on, uh, a month or two later said, Chris, do you want to run the orientation at St. Mike's next year? And I went, wow, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. The orientation back then had really not a lot of rules. Um, certainly drinking was more than allowed. And we used to block streets and walk to different events. And it was, it was really just a big, big party. You know, one of the, one of the weekends we went to a U of T event, uh, sorry, location about an hour away. We bust people up there and had a, had a, you know, keg party, et cetera. So, so basically Martha was, was suggesting that I run that event with her, which now looking back was really, again, being kind of the front man, the promoter, the, uh, person with the mic and she actually ran all the back end details and, and Martha were still good friends and, and uh, just, just a remarkable lady. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And in so doing, we met her or I met her boyfriend who two years previously had run the orientation. And so he knew, Hey, here's what we need to do. These are all the steps. And you know, I got to know him um, and uh, we became really close friends. And, and, and he was, uh, you know, like, again, I was coached by him. I liked his, 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 what he was up to. And I saw that he was actually creating this painting business. And the previous year they had five operators and they'd done $650,000 worth of business. And he approached me that fall after orientation and said, Hey, Chris, would you be interested in doing this? And so I say I basically was, you know, one of the first 10 operators uh, because the previous year there'd been one, the previous year there'd been two, uh, and one of them was the same. Uh, so, so basically um, there were, you know, roughly, you know, five or six, seven operators who had previously run the program before me and I joined and, um, and it started a long standing relationship with, with, with uh, Helmet, is his name, Helmet Beeman. And uh, we became great friends and later partners and later I bought the business from him. So that's, that's how that relationship got started. I had a high degree of confidence in him as a coach when I got started. 
at the time there were about the first year we had 27 operators and he was really the dm or the business coach you know of everybody and also ran everything and and so in may they started a guy by the name of john armstrong who i haven't yet had on the podcast but will he's he's had an incredible uh, career but i didn't meet him until the middle of may <laughs> or maybe late may he he went and we're supporting other people as a, as a as a coach but that was kind of we're just early on and setting up the structures of the business got it and do you remember what your friends or family were saying like when you told them that this was what you wanted to do I was already previously running a gardening company. So I had already been an entrepreneur for six or seven years. I'd run a gardening company and a landscaping business. And I was already making more money than my friends. Uh, I, I made like $8,000 uh, the year before I, I started in the business, which was a lot of money back in the early 80s for a you know, first year university student. And I don't really recall like... Um, like, I remember, I remember my father saying, you know, hey, this is, you know, here's, here's the risks, you know, again, if you don't sell work or if you don't do this and, you know, it's like, okay, that makes sense. And, you know, like, you know, going through the agreement with me and talking, talking about it, but I, I, I had a high degree of confidence. Um, I don't really recall any friends having a whole lot of comment and frankly, probably because it was kind of looked a lot the same to what I was doing, you know, landscaping now painting. Yeah. So, out of curiosity, what made you make that jump, right? You had been running this, this landscaping business and then this new opportunity comes to you. What made you want to take that jump? Was it like the community, other people? Like what, what was it? Yeah. So, so there really wasn't a, a, a community yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, so what made me make the jump was I understood that where I was, where I was, wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to be. I imagined you know, kind of being able to have a successful life, life, like my father, Hey, owning a home and being able to go on vacations and things like that. Well, I just didn't see that happening from a gardening company. And, and I didn't see that that's something that you could really scale, although I might not have been able to use that word at the time, but I, and, and that I was really out of ideas to grow my business didn't really think about didn't know what to do next and and uh, you know and, and at the time as well part of me making that money was actually providing a bunch of labor for it. you know so i made eighty three hundred dollars but i also pushed mowers a lot and i and i used the trimmers a lot so so this was an opportunity to really focus completely on sales on marketing on management on profitability and then also you know helmet at the time i don't know how many years older he is than me, you know, but three or four years at that age is enormous, right? It's, yeah. you know, he, he just knew so much more than me. And that was probably the biggest thing is I just knew that he knew way more than me. And that's what really enticed me. Yeah. And I know for even just over my, I guess, seven years being here, the training has evolved quite a bit in oh, yeah. terms of like just how much training we're getting. I am curious, what was the training like for you when you were coming in? Was there even training seminars at the yeah. time or was it just kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations? What was that like? Well, we had, we had a manual, so we had a manual um, and uh, you know, here, here are the scripts in the manual you know, wasn't where we were now in any ways. Our manual has been rewritten three or four times since, since then. Big rewrites, not the minor rewrites. And then there were, there were two two-day meetings. So we used to do training in four days and then we changed it to three days. And there was no 
in the field marketing training. There was no in the field estimate training. There was no, um, um, you know, February training and other February training and <laughs> April training, or uh, there was no there. There was, you know, I, I guess there was one day of, of I, I went out with a veteran to paint. Um, I painted the office uh, closet not very well, as I recall. I, I didn't get really great training on how to do it. Um, so, so that was, and then there were no trainings during the summer. So, so that's pretty much what we did. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there was no, there was no weekly structure of having a weekly coaching call or weekly process, you know, for me. So that's, there was, there was not a lot of structure around coaching and follow-up and management at the time. And I can understand because, you know, um, you know, Helmet was leading 27 people while also trying to figure out how to finance the business, and do all the things that you need to do, et cetera. So it, it was, it was pretty overwhelming for, for him. And, and thus the, uh, the level of uh, support wasn't where it is now. And how many years did you actually run the business for? Three years. Three years. And then one year I was a coach, but the coach opportunity at the time was you basically supported people through the spring into July. And then you stopped because the idea was once they're in July, they've got it figured out and they were trying to save their dollars because the business was just starting to really make money. So during that time, I went to Europe for eight weeks. Um, that was, that was when I graduated. And then, um, I also, you know, was a coach, a full-time coach later on, um, a couple of years later. Okay. Um, and did you have any thought in your head as you were starting in like that first year, did you have any thoughts in your head that you were going to be here so many years later? Did you see that at <laughs> all? Like, obviously you've been here for quite some time. Did you ever consider that or did it just kind of end up happening? Well, um, what I can say, I still recall a payroll event and the payroll event at the time was just at a local bar around the office. You know, we were in the, in the, well, just, just share our office was in the Jane Finch era area. It wasn't <laughs> dangerous part of Jane Finch, but it was in the Jane Finch area. So obviously the cost of the real estate was inexpensive. And so we were at a, a local bar again, not a dangerous bar, just so everyone's clear, but anyhow, it was just a kind of local pub. And I remember just sitting there with a group, maybe there are 10 people who, brought in their payroll that, that Friday and stayed and, and we were, you know, talking about things. And I remember I was just so excited, enthusiastic about how well we all were going to do because of what we were doing then and how much further ahead we were than everybody else and our peers. And so I remember just, just having that thought. And I'm sure at the time they were saying, Chris, could you just get off it? You know, <laughs> you know, like you know, how the Blue Jays do it, you know, yeah. like just relax, Chris, you know, but so there was just no question and enthusiasm that I had for really the business that really I would even say that the two owners of the business, the two uh, co-founders, Neil Bradley and Helmut Beeman didn't in the same way. They were, you know, really in many ways looking outward, uh, especially even more Helmut he, you know, I, I remember early on, he, he actually looked to start a computer land franchise, which was an enormous opportunity. And he almost got the opportunity. I'm not sure what would have happened with the business. Maybe the business just would have been folded. I'm not sure. But um, but he ended up not getting uh, not getting the opportunity to be the first computer land franchisee in Toronto. And uh, 
but but he was he really thought like an entrepreneur and 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 for me i really thought like uh you know and ultimately i i why i chose to do this and kept doing it was i thought well this is just doing so much good for people i just see that the, the value and 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 how how far people are getting ahead i saw that um i could do well i was i was i was winning financially you know, I didn't know that we could grow the business to $27 million, John, at the time by anyways, but I knew that I could do really well. And, and so you go, wow, if you love what you're doing, you can do really well at it. Uh, you know, you're doing well for quote unquote, the community and your, your, your customers. That seems like a really great thing to do. Awesome. And I know it was a while ago, but do you have any remember, like, do you remember anything from your early days as an operator, just like a, a favorite memory, um, whether it be like, you know, working with a particular client or situation or just something that sticks out to you as, as one of your favorite memories from your days of, of actually running the business. It is kind of interesting memories for me. And maybe it's just, just, just me, but it's, it's usually problems. It's usually, yeah. you know, like what, what I, what I make up about, about people who do this program are people who are really successful. And I was really successful. I did well in school. I was an elite athlete. I ran orientations, you know, had lots of friends, you know, so, so life really wasn't, you know, hard for me. I worked really, really hard, but, but it, you know, what didn't have a lot of quote unquote setbacks. I wouldn't win the race or whatever, but you know, I, you know, so I didn't compete as well as I wanted. Those were the types of problems I'd have. So to me, I remember very early on, I was really quite naive, John. Um, and I, I totally wanted to be liked. And so I got taken advantage by customers. I got taken advantage by painters. And I remember that first summer, like customers, one of the things we, we, as you know, John, we still do this. And we, we, we say at the end of every contract, it's like, well, and here's where you're going to authorize at the end of the job to say that you're completely satisfied. And so customers would turn that on me at the end and they'd say, well, I'm not completely satisfied. You know, this hasn't covered. And I was silly and was offering a one coat paint job, which is <laughs> silly. We don't do that anymore. Listeners, leaders. And uh, anyhow, so I would get, you know, instead of knowing, and I learned how to handle those things. And then I also got candidly out negotiated by my, by my workers, you know, and I got kind of got, got tricked by them because I was a naive because I, I wanted to be liked. Um, I had this notion that if I just worked hard, I would win. And that's not true. That's true in the swimming pool, by the way, if you work hard and you've got a good coach, he'll give you a program that you'll win. But that's not true in business. You have to manage it. And so those are the things that really stand out for me, but not in a bad way. Well, I guess they were, you know, quote, unquote, you know, we love to enable experiences, good, bad. But for, for sure, it was a painful experience initially, but long term, a really great experience because I learned this is a weakness and I have to watch it. I have to set structures to manage it, et cetera. Yeah. And that was kind of another question that I had was just any, you know, challenging customers or employees that really taught you a lesson that you still keep with you today. Um, Cause I know for me, like there's definitely a lot of lessons that I've held on to from my years of operating and just skill sets that I really gained. So if you had to pick like, what, what are some of your favorite skill sets or experiences that you still rely on today uh, in your, in your role as a head coach? 
Yeah. Well, well, certainly I remember, you know, if you talk about customers, I remember I was working for this uh, Dr. Eisen, uh, who I'm sure given his age at the time is no longer with us. And he was really great. We sold him on doing a job. We were doing an interior job and he would just get so angry and he would yell and scream at the office. He would yell and scream at my team. And, you know, in the day we had no ability to communicate except through phone lines and then pagers. So anyhow, I would hear Dr. Eisen is upset and I would go and he would calm down. He would go, oh, Chris is here. I feel confident he can handle it. And it would just like totally calm things down. So so I saw that, um, you know, the capability to have people trust me, have confidence in me and and solve problems and just, okay, here's what we're going to do. So that's something that I, I, I definitely saw. I learned also, I remember asking my father at the time, John, you know, what do you do when someone's yelling at you or swearing at you, you know, or on the phone? Because, um, you know, when I found sometimes Dr. Eisen, I guess, I think it was probably around that. And, it, and, it, and, it, and he was just, you know, the coaching was, well, I understand you're really frustrated and I'll call back when you're feeling better. You know, so I'm just getting, just to let you know, I'm going to get off the phone. And, and frankly, whenever I did that, the customer would quickly reverse course and say, oh, you're right. My apologies. And just to call myself out, sometimes when I've called Rogers or Bell and been fairly frustrated <laughs> or whatever, some huge monopoly that we're dealing with in Canada. And all of a sudden I'll let a word slip that I didn't mean to. And I'll go, no, you are right. My apologies. I should not have said that word. And I was not frustrated with you, frustrated with the organization you work with. So it is one of those things where it's a really great you know, tool to go and let someone gather themselves, you know, um, and because most people sometimes again it's just like it's just coming up for them and they're getting angry or frustrated and then all of a sudden you you know you it's a good way to call them on it and then they oh you're right i don't want to behave that way i'm yelling at you you're a 22 year old and i'm yelling at you right they don't say that but but i'm sure that's what they're thinking <laughs> love that well i definitely learned that exact same lesson in a different way uh when i was running my business and it, it's something that you know is really great now as a coach sometimes we have to step in and, and help out an operator um, and just being able to use that skill set is really huge. So yeah. uh, I love that. Now, obviously, technology has come a long way since yes. your time as being an operator. So what kind of challenges did you face back then that since have been solved with technology? I know there's no Simon, like you're sure. talking about pagers. And I don't know if you had like one of those car phones <laughs> sitting in the middle of your car or what you did. But oh. you could you walk me through that? So early on, it was a major breakthrough to have a pager. So basically, the initial pagers would have someone would page you and there'd be a phone number and you would read the phone number and you'd call the person. You'd find a pay phone, find someone's phone and you'd call them. And of course, one of the problems is then they wouldn't be there. <laughs> so if you didn't, if you weren't able to call back fast enough, then later on, they were voice voice pagers. So it would be a message. So imagine you're driving down the highway or a road and you're got a cruddy car because that's what you'd have. And you it'd be, you know, so a lot of times that wouldn't really work. Then you'd look to find a pay phone, put a quarter in, try to listen to the message. No, the message is actually just too hard to hear anyhow. So you wouldn't be able to call the person back. And then finally, all of our calls went through our answering service at the office where they basically would answer the phone largely nine to five or so. 
and they make make a note and then they do that. So lots of lots of challenges around that. I remember one time I had surgery on my finger and I and of course I called the office to get messages. And I, I guess I set up an estimate and then I recognized I was on drugs and I didn't recall it for two weeks later, you know, so, so, cause didn't have the systems and write things down. So all the structures that we provide with, with Simon, with cellular phones. Oh yes. And my first cellular phone bill was $1,800 and it just, just, it was, it was so crazy early on you know, what we invested in, in, in that we were definitely early adopters of, of using cell phones. And, and you're right. They basically sat in the middle of your car and you really had to, had to watch how much you used it. Um, and early on we didn't, and every year we, you know, coach people to n- not do, do the same. And every year people would use it too much. And, uh, and, and now it's really fantastic that people literally can just talk anywhere all the time and it, and it, and there's, there's no, no limit. And, and, and it, it certainly has supported our community as well, because people can reach out to each other and talk again, long distance. There's, there's no, there's no difference. Uh, so, so all these things have made such an advantage. Oh, the the ability to take pictures of problems, send it to coaches. The ability to then track that and give it to your team. You know, your your your, your workers, so that they know what you're doing. Um, you know, voice notes. There's just the 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 it, there there hasn't been a whole lot that's changed in the technology of painting homes or the technology of cleaning windows, but. There's just been so much to change in how we run the business around it. Love it. So after you were an operator, what made you want to step up and become a coach? Like, why not just continue running the business, like continuing the same course? What made you step into that role of a coach? And what did you guys call yourselves at that time? General yeah, we, managers? We, yeah, district managers and okay. then general managers, if you were full time, is is what we what what the designation was. So I think the big thing is, is that I had done a lot of thinking as I was sort of, as, a, as I was saying, like, one of the things for me always was, um, you know, I, I, again, through my father, I'd known a lot of people. One of the things he'd always highlight was, hey, just because people are successful doesn't mean they're happy. And a lot of lawyers really weren't happy. Um, you know, they're successful because there's this high demand from parents or, or wow, class, oh, now I'm a lawyer, I'm a Bay Street lawyer, or wow, isn't this great? And in fact, highly stressful, enormous hours, and a lot of the work's quite unpleasant. So, so a lot of people drink too much, not really like their jobs. And so, you know, one of the things he encouraged was, hey, do what you love. And so for me, um, I really love coaching. I really love teaching. So to me, that seemed like the, the best spot for me. And again, my goal wasn't to just figure out how to make the most money, you know, and at the time, if, if, if everyone's, um, our, our leaders, you know, heard wall street, well, the wall street, the, the original wall street movie, uh, with Charlie Sheen was, and, uh, was at that time they've remade it recently, but, but it was kind of wall street and the whole idea of, um, you know, takeovers and, and, and just, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, sleep when you're dead and, and greed, greed is greed is good. And all these types of types of things were just starting to come into the consciousness of our community where all that mattered was the return on investment for shareholders. And for me, I always didn't feel like that made sense. I always felt like, no, a business should be really great for their customers. 
for um, the community, for the staff, for the stakeholders. And and um, it just just kind of just seemed like that made sense to me. Right. And and that that the you know, the business world really shifted to that greed is good model. But there still were a bunch of people went, no, that doesn't really make sense. And certainly that's where I sat. And we had a, a whole group of our operators go to Wall Street and be tremendously uh, successful. And uh, again, I don't think they were chanting greed is good, uh, but but anyhow, they were tremendously successful in in sort of uh, in sort of doing what they were up to. Um, and uh, yeah, that was kind of the 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 error we were in back in the late 80s. Well, it's interesting that you had said that, too, because earlier on in the in the podcast here, you had mentioned that you were looking to maybe become a teacher or something like that. And yeah. as it turns out, you've been a teacher of yes. thousands, That's right. of students, thousands of students. Right? That's right. And uh, yeah, because I, I know for me, like I grew up, I wanted to be a teacher, maybe a psychologist, and I definitely wanted to be an entrepreneur and kind of like as a coach, you're kind of all three. Um, so I, I definitely relate to that. Yeah. Looking at the the culture, I think that's something that like, especially today is so important and inside of our community, like it's just so big for us. Um, when you were an operator, even that just as a coach, like, was there that community? Like, were you guys bringing each other together a whole bunch? Uh, as you had mentioned with the cell phones and stuff, yeah. Zoom, people are together all the time now. So what was the culture like back then? And, and how have you seen it evolve over the years? Yeah, so, so culture in this uh, business has always been really, really a strength. So it's always, it's always something that I got like, and, you know, if you think about running an orientation, what, what's a really great orientation about creating a culture of having fun and, and, and an inclusive environment and getting aligned around values, et cetera. So, so I think that's something that we've always done well. And so we used to always have biweekly, you know, we call them payroll events. So go play football at the park, go, you know, basketball, go, you know, just do simple things together. You know, we had, we had boat cruises 30 years ago. Um, so that's something that's always been on our culture. We, we, Roland Tom, shout out Roland. He started our first rafting event in the early nineties and we've been running it every week since then. You know, we've had, we've had banquets since the you know first year. You know, I think Mexico has been operating for about 25 years. So it's certainly something that that we have uh, we've done. But we used to have cottage events or, or different things when the company was smaller. So not um, technology has has improved it. Zoom has improved it. The ability to get together faster and easier has improved it. Um, and it was always there uh, for sure. But yeah, that culture culture is so critical. Yeah. And, and I know the answer is, of course, yes. Yeah. Um, but are there any people you're still in touch with today that you were either running a business alongside or that you coach? And I'm sure there's some that, you know, are, are closer than others. But I think that's something that's really, really cool is just I remember Sam Simons, like my first coach, right? Still have a great relationship with him. Seven yeah. years later, he coached me for eight months, but yeah. I still look at him as a brother. So what can you kind of tell us about that from your early days and some of the people that you're still in contact with, whether it be like really, really close or yeah. just kind of, you know, touch and base every once in a while? Yeah. So, so, you know, Rick Eastwood is one of my closest friends. I met him at the Toronto home show in my second year and he was in his first year. And so Rick runs a 
you know, roughly $200 million business. And, and what's, what's, uh, what's, and, and, and what's super cool about it as well is, 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 his wife is really great friends with my wife and our CEO. His son actually went and managed for two years in Whistler and we got him involved and, and, and Rick was wondering, well, what do you think he could do? And I was like, oh no, this would, I think really be great with Drew. And I was involved in the recruiting of Drew and setting expectations with Drew. And then, and then Drew came from out West uh, where his family grew up and he, he grew up with his mom uh, at a times. And then with Rick, he came over and, and, joined Rick a few years ago and uh, now is great friends with my son, Devin. So, so, and they, and their, their, their partners get along really great and they see each other super. So that'd be probably one of the best examples of, of longstanding friendships. But, you know, I mentioned Roland Toms. We, we connect regularly. Uh, Andrew McGilvery, I was just reaching out to him yesterday. Neil Bradley takes me out to St. George's golf club every year. And, you know, so there's a whole group of, of, of alumni who, we would be in touch with if I wasn't running this business or, or, or is uh, Richard, Richard Carroll, Quentin Carroll's uh, father, you know, we could, we connect with regularly Marcus Vandenbrink. There's a whole group of people, you know, some younger alumni reach out pretty regularly sort of for, for coaching or their, their businesses are really booming and looking for, looking for advice or feedback. That maybe happens more because I'm still in the business, but uh, those older people are just, you know, you just develop really great close, close relationships and, and they're, they're, they're tight. So the one downside of course is, is that a lot of our, our, a lot of people just move all over the place. That's <laughs> so it's not like they're still in, you know, uh, Niagara Falls where you, where you grew up, you know, so that, that's one of the disadvantages, but again, with, with phones and zoom and all those different things, and you're, you're able to sort of, uh, you know, go, go connect and see, see each other. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this are, you know, current operators, past operators, current coaches, past coaches, right? A lot of alumni of the program. Um, and I think that ability to develop and maintain these lifelong friendships is something that everybody wants to do. And maybe people don't really know the best way to go and do that. Um, and so it doesn't really relate to your experience, I guess, as an owner operator, sure. but you know, like, what do you think the key is to developing and maintaining these relationships over the course of your life? Because we're going to meet so many amazing leaders while we're in the program. How do we make sure that we're staying in touch with those people, making connections with them uh, yeah. over the long term? That's a really great question, John. Um, you know, I think one of the things is, is, is um, really prioritizing, you know, number one, it's, it's seeing it as very, very valuable. And, in your 20s, it's really easy to have lots of friends. It's just easy. You're just on university campus. Well, I guess now with the pandemic, maybe a little harder. But anyhow, it's, it's just easy. There's all sorts of people looking to socialize. Then there's a period where it starts to be a little bit harder. Um, people start having families. People start coupling up. And it gets difficult. But a lot of social gets just around kids. Um, and so that there's there's a social community around there. But as you age and those start to sort of maybe break up and if you're not really actively looking to find people who are to be in community with it, it, it dissipates. And, and there's a lot of people who are really quite lonely as they age. So and then then if we're really talking about it, well, that's just kind of combating loneliness. Well, hold on. We don't. That, that's that's really OK. That's really a low gauge, right. Yeah. For a, for a great life. That's not what really we focus on on the leaders of tomorrow. Leaders of tomorrow, we focus on how do we have a fantastic life? Well, one of the things is 
to have really amazing people who you're sharing the worst of times and the best of times with. And, and so one of the great things, and, and not that I suggest only to have relationships with entrepreneurs or leaders, I don't think that's wise because you're in an echo chamber and it is helpful to, to know people because then they, they get it. And when challenges happen, oh, they understand it and they can share challenges that they've had and they can share ways that they managed it. So, so to me, it's, it's, you know, prioritizing it and then reaching out and just picking up the phone. Like, you know, just yesterday I reached out to Andrew McGilvery. I hadn't spoken to him in a year. I just had thought of him. I was driving through his hometown and I just, I just said, Hey, called him, connect with him, you know, and uh, you know, I'm sure he'll call me back. We'll talk, you know, and it's keeping these relationships alive. You know, he lives in New Mexico, so it's not like it's really easy to sort of reach. He's running a big business down there. But if people matter to you, let them know they matter to you. And um, and you're just going to win from that from that connection, from that opportunity. That's the big thing, you know, and then and then then a lot of it is as well as um, anytime I think we, we look at networking, let's call it because and that's that's really kind of a bad word in my mind, but, you know, just being a real human would be a better word, but it doesn't fit as well in the bucket. So, so it's really, again, it's, it's, it's always being in those relationships with, Hey, how could I help? What can I do? You know? And, and, um, you know, I remember Neil Bradley, his business at one point, you know, he was just crushing it for years and years. And then all of a sudden they were really, they were struggling to find drivers in the transportation business. So it was like, Oh, I was just listening for that. And I was like, Oh, Hey, we do all this stuff around networking. Hey, this is something we could help you with. So I had a bunch of calls with them. So to support him around that, to, to try to make a difference, you know, so, so again, it, 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 it was um, something that you see and putting it out there and again, not putting it out there. So he's feeling, you know, uh, you know, judged or not up to it, but Hey, if you'd like to, this is what we're doing. Oh yeah. I'd really be interested. Okay, great. Well then here, let me share what we're up to in more detail. It's um, really looking to be of service because then naturally the world gives back to you. Naturally people look to sort of support you as well. And, and so, so that's, that's kind of how I, how I look at it. Um, and we've, you know, there's no question if I look at the success of our business, a huge part of it has been, I'm a great, you know, call it networker or call it good person. Um, <laughs> and so I've reached out to all sorts of people who've done what we've done over the decades and learned from them shared with them, learned back from them. There have always been areas that maybe are kind of the secret sauce that didn't want to get shared back and forth in competitive environments. But there were lots of things that we could share and could help each other because the market's big. There's lots of opportunities to, to, uh, to share and help you versus all the other competitors. Hey, leaders. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. As we approach and surpass 300 episodes, well over 95% of the leaders that we have interviewed have been alumni of the Student Works Management Program. It has been an honor to participate in their development over the years. Starting now and only for the fall months, we will be on campus at universities and colleges in Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you are interested in being a leader in our program or know someone who does, 
please go to the show notes and hit student works and get sent to a landing page to apply. There is a bold student works that you can hit to go to a landing page to apply. Thanks so much. Back to the show. And one thing that I just want to really highlight and zone in on there was you said that you were driving through the person's neighborhood and you thought about them and you just called them. And I think that's probably like just getting in that action of when you have that thought, actually doing it. Cause I know for me, I sometimes will have that thought and then, ah, but maybe they're doing something, you know, and just not end up calling, but just picking up the phone, give them a call, they'll call you back. Maybe they won't, but you're right. If the relationship's important to you, just pick up the phone and give them a call when you have that thought. Um, cause chances are they're probably thinking about you every once in a while too, yeah. um, not picking up the phone. And so, you know, being yeah. that person that facilitates that relationship, I think is really awesome. Yeah. And it, and it, and the, and the thing is, as well as, is that, you know, it's, it made me feel good period, you know, and yeah. I'm sure Andrew will get back to me. And if he didn't, I wouldn't make anything bad about it. You know, that sort of thing. So that's also important. It's, it's, it's like, again, you're putting yourself out there. So, so there, I guess, you know, in some ways there could be a risk there, but it's uh, you know, again, we're reaching out to people who we have a good relationship with. And then it's about the only way to keep that relationship good is actually be in contact. Right. And that, that, you know, and just, again, just bring, bring it, bring it open again. Love it. And what has it been like for you looking back at some of those early students that you had mentored to watch them go on and just crush it in their careers? Like what has that been like for you? I'm so close to it right now. I'm just thinking about like 20 years from now, some of the, you know, like the Cameron Clarks, the barrels, like the the guys that were on that, that rookie team, there watching them go off and crush it in their careers. What's it been like for you, especially seeing so many people go through? Well, it's been, it's been fantastic. And one of the biggest reasons why I'm literally as motivated and doing what I do every day as I've ever been. And, and it's, um, you know, today on LinkedIn, I just, I just saw somebody else get a, get a promotion and just start with, uh, you know, Deloitte monitor, um, you know, one of the big consulting firms, uh, Will Bouchard. So isn't that super cool? And, and, um, and, and all the time I'm seeing, I'm seeing people make progress in their career. I just saw, um, Simon, uh, Simon Miller got a huge, huge promotion at Workday where he's a principal managing principal at work Workday this summer. And, and, and again, I, didn't just pop on his LinkedIn and congratulate him. I just had to call him, you know, and, and, and it just, you know, again, I just was so excited for him. Um, and, uh, and just, just what that means, like Workday is an enormous company to take that type of a role, uh, which is an enormous compensation plan that I can't mention, but I, he did tell me. Um, <laughs> so, so it's, it just feels really, really great. And, you know, he, you know, he shared, he goes, there's just no way I would be here without doing student works, you know, 25 years ago or whatever. So it, it, it feels really great again, you know, doing the right thing every day, making a difference, um, you know, and, and uh, your work matters. So that's a, that's a great feeling. So it's, it's, you know, when we have things that don't go as well, or there's a, you know, job or a customer or a situation that, that were, you know, didn't, didn't work out. I just see all of these wins. And, um, and again, I'm as proud or probably prouder 
of the long-term wins than actually what we do every summer, right? You know, I know actually what we do every summer funds the life and funds the, and does everything, but I definitely feel even better about the, the long, the big wins uh, that, that people have and the, the huge jobs people are doing and the success of people's businesses and, and um, you know, in whatever, whatever small part we had in, in, in getting them, um, getting them, you know, going towards their goals. Absolutely. So you were an operator for a few years, a coach for a few years. How did the concept of buying and ended up taking over student painters come student works? How did that come to be? So in um, 1989, Helmut Neal split up in the, in the summer of 88. And uh, I probably shouldn't talk too much about that, but anyhow, because they're both good friends of mine. So, so I'm on both sides. Uh, but, but at the time I was on Helmut's side because he was my, he was my direct report and I was reporting to him and working with him. So, so at that time, he basically decided he wanted to take some money off the table. And so he sold, um, you know, uh, 25% of the business to Paul Pasco, the vice president and myself. So we bought in and we basically, uh, share, share profit with, with, uh, with helmet in the business and helmet, expanded the business to California with a guy by the name of Mark Moses. He expanded the business to uh, Western Canada with a guy by the name of Andrew Brittnell. Um, and then over time expanded the business to other, to other markets. And so in 1989, I, I was running Ontario, a uh, guy by the name of Steph Cote was running Quebec. And then there was a thing called the HGST that came in, which became the HST. There also was a, a massive, massive overbuild in commercial buildings in the greater Toronto area. I remember talking to one of my dad's really good friends. He was the executive VP of the TD Bank. And he told me, he goes, Chris, commercial buildings have been overbuilt for a decade. And I remember hearing that and just, oh, wow, kind of like a fact. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was worse than a fact, leaders, because it's one of those those big things that made all the difference in our market. And I'd say, well, why is that? Commercial building. Well, what happened was all those commercial painters didn't have commercial buildings to paint. So all of a sudden they started going into the residential maintenance painting business. And then there was this thing called the GST, which made it harder to get business. And there was, there was, a, there was an economic recession, a tightening, became much, much harder to run our business. And, and, but it mostly started from that commercial overbuild. One of the cool things, John, as an aside is, there's the exact opposite happening now. There is not enough, you know, there's not enough homes in Canada and there's, there's you know, and, and they're making it really difficult right now to build homes. I was talking to a major builder, the CFO of a major builder playing golf on Saturday. And so this problem is happening in the reverse for us and will be happening for a long, long time. There's no overbuild. Um, but that, that became really challenging. And, and I guess um, the next thing is, 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 uh, um, Helmut made some financial decisions that he regretted. Okay. And as a result, basically he needed to sell parts of the business off. And I, in 1993, I was in the position to, to buy uh, the Ontario business in a turnaround. We made a deal where um, he helped finance me 
the, the business. I, I, my parents helped finance the business. Uh, I, I paid for the business over time, a uh, four or five year deal, probably even longer than that. Did, did he come and help help finance the business? And so it was a it was a win win win, you know. Like uh, we we managed to sort of get the business turned around. And I remember at a certain point though, John, I was I was looking at because uh, it was quite a big rescue, you know, it was about three hundred thousand dollars to to finance, which again is even a lot more money in today's dollars. So it was a lot of a lot of money uh, that we need to, to 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 raise and see it through. But we just felt really comfortable that we could go and take what we had and put it in a new operating company, put it, put it in a, you know, just the right financial structure so that we could go and do really well that next year. And, 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 you know, one of the things that I could have done is just start my own and not buy it from helmet. But I, I decided that the, the, the best course of action would be to sort of work with helmet. And, and I do feel like that was the best course of action and, and it was a successful successful win. So that, that business that I bought from Helmet, we, we did $2.8 million the year before I bought it. And then we did $2.8 million the year after. So, uh, you know, we've grown, you know, basically 10 times that uh, since, since 1993, but that's what we ended up doing. That's just crazy. So how old were you when you bought in then? I, I was 26 when I bought in in 1989. So I was 30 uh, when I, when I bought, when I bought the business ultimately, you know, outright. Yeah. So when you look at those early years, like that's still pretty early on in the careers. I think a lot of times, like I know for me, I feel like I'm just getting so much older, but like yeah. 30 is still quite young to be taking over, uh, you know, $2.8 million business. Right. When you look at those early years, what did you find most challenging when like everything was really on you? One of the things uh, was we basically took the admin team that was that was running the other business and we recruited them over. They liked working the business. They liked working with me. So we we they 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 came with me. So that that was a huge thing. Like you know, certainly admin is not a strength of mine, and 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 structure is not a strength of mine. So we took those structures and, and, and move them with me. So, so that was successful, you know, really it was not that big a shift in terms of, um, you know, one of the mistakes helmet made candidly, or, or who knows, maybe not because it, it turned out great for helmet, but he basically exited the relationship part of the business. So he stopped coming to trainings for years, stopped really running the DM trainings or the coaches trainings and really had no relationships in the business. And this is a completely relationship business. So really the business was mine. You know, I, you know, in, 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 in the end though, you know, I, I had an obligation again, I could have changed trademarks, could have done a bunch of different things, but you know, that I owned the relationships. I really ran the business. So really all that shifted was now I had this financial responsibility. So, yeah, so I felt I felt really comfortable, like, you know, uh, in that September before I made the decision, I probably already had identified a group of veterans who are going to come back. I did identified a, a group of uh, coaches who want to come back. One of those was Rich, Richard Carroll, Quentin Carroll's dad. So he, he, he came on. And, and, and so, so I had, I had a, a really great team of people, Quentin Carroll's, uh, Richard Carroll's partner, Tim Tracy, uh, in his business now also came on. So. So it was just kind of, you know, I had the business, I could see the coaches, this is what we can go do. And we just went and executed. Very cool. So I'm sure just like with any business, there's going to be a bunch of ups and downs and 
you know, obviously you've gotten through it all now. So I hope it's okay to like, look back at some of these, but when you look back at like your early days, taking over the business, what was one of your first major setbacks and how did you ultimately end up overcoming that challenge? Two, two setbacks or, you know, or two missings in way I was thinking. One of them was I basically, for a whole number of years, I grew from 2.8 to 3 to 3.1 to 3.2, like not how we're growing now at all. (laughs) Okay. And why was it was because I recognized that there was a cap on my thinking. There's cap on, I didn't want to set a big goal. If I set a big goal and I didn't hit it, I would beat myself up and get really angry with myself. So I didn't want to do that. I'd done that previously. It really caused a lot of psychic trauma. So, so I, I, I went and did some, some, some work or some learning and I, and I had a breakthrough to say, Oh, that's not a good way of thinking. You can just set a goal, go for it. And if you don't hit it, it's okay. You didn't hit it, you know, regroup, set a new goal. And, and I, I started setting goals differently. So that was one thing. But another thing was I didn't have the strategies that made the company what it is. And, and, you know, wow, geez, that's quite a, that's quite an offer, but anyhow, it's true. It's true. So I'm a, I'm a really great head coach. I'm a really great coach. So over that period of time, I started doing a whole bunch of coaching on the side. I couldn't figure out how to run the business bigger and better. So I started doing coaching. I started working for the entrepreneurs organization, became a facilitator trainer, became a mentorship training trainer. I, I worked for the Association of Independent Coordinated Converters and basically go on retreats and host retreats and facilitate other entrepreneurs. And, and you can see how obviously those skills that I learned are really impacting our business, right? And how, how, how well the business is run in those areas. But one of the great things is, as we talked about earlier, I'm a great networker. Well, Andrew Brittnell made an enormous impact on uh, student works West, which he ran and owned, um, you know, passed, passed on a number of years ago, but he also made a huge impact on us. Like, I guess I made an impact early in his career because he was one of my coaches that I coach and train, et cetera. But he figured out four or five things that made a huge difference in our business to grow the business. Number one, he created the first initial Simon, Adam Crandall as well, but basically he created that. We ran it together. We, we paid for it together. And that just made an enormous difference over time, over decades. We had a re, re, reboot with Stephen Lachance. Shout out Stephen Lachance later on. That made even a huge, bigger difference. But, but again, we couldn't have got there unless we started there. Another thing, he really, Brian Scudamore, he's been on the podcast. Well, he was a good friend of Andrew's. Um, and, and Brian really focused on systems. And so Andrew really started focused on systems. Not saying we didn't have them before, but next level systems. And Andrew, because he's an awesome guy, gave them to us. And we started running those systems and it made a way better uh, and bigger difference in our business. And, 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 and sort of we had painting systems, but operating systems that really made a difference. We, he started the Mexico trip two years before I started the Mexico trip. And the first two trips we did, we did with the West Coast. Um, and so that made a huge, huge difference in terms of just we used to have five operators do over $70,000. <laughs> now it's half of our average. So a huge part of that is, 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 is that. So, so I think those were the, I, I know there, I remember there used to be five things that we used to point to, but those were the big three things that Andrew, Oh, 
No, sorry. One other huge thing that he did. We used to recruit and the entire industry largely recruited till March and their last training would be in March. And they'd set up and structure and have operators come up and start in March. They go on and have successful summers. Well, what had actually happened is every time you're recruiting and instead of operating, working with your team in January or February, that impacted the value that you were operating with those people so that your averages would get depressed, but you wouldn't know it. And your success and, and focus would get depressed, but you wouldn't know it. And then every year you get some amazing people who would win, like Rick Eastwood was one of those recruits, Jamie Lee Mitchell, who's been on the podcast, another one of those recruits who would crush it. And you think, see, it works, but no, they're unbelievable. Most of the people wouldn't work. Most of the people wouldn't happen. And so we stopped that. And, and Andrew basically, you know, created that. And all of a sudden our averages jumped by 25%. And then they kept jumping and kept jumping and kept jumping because we are 100% focused on our operators every January. Nothing else gets in the way. And that just has made such a difference in our business model. Um, now we actually, as, as you know, actually continue to support all of our veterans all fall, you know, and, and, and we're quote unquote, a little distracted from our recruiting efforts. And we see that that makes an enormous difference in retention in averages, in their support of our team the rest of the year. So it's just this, this, this huge um, circular effect that, that really makes a difference. That's awesome. And I know you had mentioned kind of going off and doing a bunch of different things. Uh, and I know there's some things that like didn't come up, but I am curious at what point did you really make the decision to make this your life's work, to make this your life's mission to help these students get this experience? Yeah, so so I made that decision really in '93, and 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 I and I I really then just kept doubling and committing more and more to it. I think what happened was um, like I was never I was never not in the business really again full time really committed. Although as as you pointed out, and there are lots of lots of examples where I got distracted. I was chasing, you know, shiny lures. And some look better than others, but ultimately, and, and it's one of the things I'll commonly hear on our, in our coaching or, or interviews is, is people say, what's your future? Oh, I want to be running multiple businesses and having them all run, et cetera. It's just extraordinarily difficult to do that. And, and, you know, again, it's just not that many of my friends have successful businesses like that. You know, now again, maybe multiple real estate properties for sure, and then a main business, but just that's not the model, but that's the model I thought. And I had this story as well, John, that, well, I didn't really start the business. So I'm not really an entrepreneur. That's what I used to think. And so finally, I've given myself the, the feeling that, yes, I'm an entrepreneur <laughs> or, or whatever I am, I am. And just got off that thought that I needed to create something separate or new or different and that whatever I'm working on here has lots of value and I'm really proud of it. And, um, you know, but it, but it is really important for our leaders listening to sort of just see that, hey, sometimes these thoughts underneath really drive our actions and drive our actions down the wrong road. So, so, you know, just me looking to always start something else was a distraction for me not to just keep focused on this core business that could just keep growing and growing and growing. Now, I didn't see that, um, which again is, a, is something, but, but I brought people in who could see that. 
and they could see it and they helped they helped then uh make a difference again my my my, my partner and our ceo helen thompson of course and patrick lalonde he, he really saw that as well and and that made a huge huge difference in how we were how we were focused on the business yeah and i, I think that it's something really great for our listeners to hear even for myself to be reminded of that the focus is so important like if you just focus on something for long enough um, and with enough attention and yeah, like that's where you're really going to make the biggest strides. It's likely not going to be, you know, splitting your focus up amongst 15 <laughs> different businesses. Exactly. And, you know, I got stuff going on over here, over there, uh, really just narrowing in and going, how big could I make this thing? I think is uh, a really great lesson. So you had actually just mentioned uh, part of what my next question was, because as you and I know, we've got an amazing CEO who's done a lot yeah. for the business in her time here. Uh, she also happens to be your partner outside of the yeah. business as well. I'm curious to hear from you just, you know, what had her take on that role? What do you feel has been her biggest contribution to the business? Well, well basically, you know, what, what was what was true was I, I did not have the business in a solid financial footing. We basically expanded with Home Depot. We invested a whole lot of business uh, of, of, of money in that. And and then all of a sudden it failed. We grew from three hundred thousand to twenty six million dollars, and but there was there was the economic crisis of two thousand and eight. Uh, the, the 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 business what wasn't wasn't going to work. They were very clearly going in a different direction, and they were not going to support painting as 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 what they told us they would earlier. And so so we basically identified that hey, we just got to go totally focus on student works, get out of everything else and, and, and really, really drive in that direction. She left her interior design business and provided just so much more like number one, financial support, you know, accounting support, you know, controls, uh, then marketing, legal. And, 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 and I, on top of it, one of the biggest things, you know, is we're not going to do anything else. This is hundred percent all of our times here, all of our focus, there's no other distraction, nothing else ever. That was really, really significant. She saw that what this could do, that this could really grow and develop and, and, and be way, way better. And, um, and, and so we just didn't do um, anything else. And the business kept growing and growing and growing. That's really the, the biggest thing. And then, and then slowly, it was like, okay, we're ready to start expanding into window cleaning here's what we'll do. And, and she saw that opportunity and saw this is how, how it can, how it can, you know, be that next step. And, and, you know, as you know, John, a lot of times people are bringing to our senior team, let's do this or let's do that. And she's really good at holding the ground and, and maybe, maybe at times, maybe we're slower in doing something, but it's way better than being too fast because I was way too fast for years. And that was really, really had a negative, negative impact. And I think a lot of young entrepreneurs are, you know, and, and, you know, just also to, to share, I, I suffer from ADD or I win with ADD, <laughs> you know, so I, so it's, it's a gift and it's a curse. So, so again, like all, all of our, all of our strengths are weaknesses, all of our weaknesses are strengths that likability thing, that needing to be liked thing. Well, that's also a gift. Because I'm liked by a lot of people. I have a high degree of charisma and people are drawn to me. So, so that's a gift. It's a curse. I need to sort of manage both. Yeah. Well, and I definitely wanted to make sure that she got brought up because I know she's made such a big contribution to the business. And I know one of the things that she definitely has helped me with is that, 
Hey, John, be thoughtful because yeah. I, much like a lot of our other leaders that just go, 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 go. Yes. She goes, John, let's just sit here for a second. Let's think about this. Yeah. You know, what have we not considered? Like, you know, so uh, I think that structure is, is really, really important. And, you know, like you, you kind of talked about it a bit earlier, but it's insane to me just to see how much this company has grown just in my time being here. Like I think right. at the time we were doing like 10 million, now 27 million. Yeah. Did you or anyone in those early days dream about the company becoming this? Did anyone think in those early days, like would anyone have been able to have predicted this? I don't think so. No, no, I, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so at all. But you know, one of the big things is, is, is the first year we, we put the new Simon in the business grew by $2.8 million. Like just bang, like just the scoreboard, having an ongoing lighted lit scoreboard. So people could chase up the scoreboard made such an impact. And, and so, so, and it's, there's, there's not like, we can't point to, Oh, there's one, two or three. There's so many different things, obviously the digital recruiting that you've been so impactful on and making a difference to reach out to more people and, and, putting the, the, the message of student works out there that makes it, that makes a difference. Um, you know, one of the things as well is we've gotten better and better at just not allowing people who can't run the program to run the program, you know, and what that impacts is what's called a net promoter score. So in the past, um, we weren't as good at that. So we always had people in the program who, who didn't win. We always had lots and lots of winners, but you know, now if someone doesn't do $30,000, in window cleaning or $40,000 by early May in painting, they can't run the program. And so those amounts of money secure somebody as long as they do a decent job of managing their profitability of being reasonable profit. So, so that's, that's meant that we don't have, you know, we have very, very few detractors of the business. Of course, everybody can say anything. So, you know, you're always going to have haters, but overwhelmingly, you, we just don't have that many. And we have people who really, really love the business. So, so you know, we used to return 35% of our team members every year. Now we return over 50. We used to have maybe 15 referrals, then 20 referrals, then 30. Last year we had 80. This year we think we're going to have 100. So, so those, those are the real metrics that have changed the, um, the numbers. And then obviously we used to not have a window cleaning division. So, you know, it's a $7 million business now. So, and it'll be growing. So, so those are the things that have really made the difference um, that you can point to, to me, those big things that we can point at. I love it. And on to the last couple of questions here, if you had a time machine and you could go back and you can tell yourself something about the business, what would you go back and tell yourself? Just one thing. (laughs) (laughs) As much as you want, but. Well, well, you know, you know, it would be massive to be able to know what we are now and bring it back because we would have just made so much more of an impact with the knowledge that we have now and we would have created way more successful students we would have you know um just been way more successful earlier for sure like there's just there's just no question um you know and and you know just 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 uh understanding like it's really understanding the real levers of the business 
like, like you really understanding what really matters to a business and it's, and what, what model really works. It's, you know, they, you know, that, that, that loop, that self-sustaining loop, that just keeps, you know, just powering your business. And for us, it's fantastic operators really being successful, you know, referring their friends, coming and staying a long time. Why, why do they do that? Well, obviously they're getting enormous benefit of the program. They're learning so much. They're making great money. You know, they're seeing these, these, this opportunity to, again, become a director, learning how to become a business owner so that they really can, can later on really, well, first of all, initially just run a really great business here and then also go and run a great business in the future awesome. or, or be a leader in the future. For sure. And I know one of your big goals, your big, hairy, audacious goal is to create a thousand millionaires and well on the way to achieving that. I know it's somewhat hard to track, you know, yeah. the exact number out there, but what made you want to set such a crazy goal? Well, at the time, there was this concept called big, hairy, audacious goal. I, I believe it was Jim Collins. And we've been influenced a lot by Jim Collins as, as I think any you know, um, successful or, or, or thoughtful business owner or entrepreneur should be reading Jim Collins, so many great books. And he's, he's, he's done such a wonderful job. And, and it's the idea of setting something that's really, really monstrous that, 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 that really you, you quake at. And for me, I remember, um, setting it because, you know, he said to set it and it was something that you couldn't imagine happening. It would be so big if it did. And, and, it, and it's, and it's not meant to be, Oh, I know a hundred million dollars for your business. Cause you know, he, he would say that again, if it's a volume scale or something that doesn't, it's not, it's not big, hairy, innovation, something that the business will create. So for us, it was a thousand millionaires for me. It was like, we were running a business that had a hundred operators that year, probably a thousand, you know, like what, like, how is that possible? And, and, but what it committed me to was saying, Hey, I'm going to do this for a long, long time. I got to stay alive a long, long time too, to see it actually happen. Um, and, um, for, for many years, I would say once at January training, and that's it. I could, I could, I could get the gumption to say it once, John, once. And then it just became something more and more comfortable. And, and now we've identified over 200 people. Um, and there's definitely, you know, very clearly, you know, we're, we're identifying more and more people who clearly will get there. So, but, but obviously early on in their career, now, the, now, now we are having 200 plus operators go, go through the business every year and, 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 you know, like this, this past year, we had well over 30 operators run $200,000 businesses in their early 20s. So you say, what are the chances of those people becoming up, you know, you know, so millionaires, et cetera. But, you know, it's and and, and again, it's remember, a goal is not about the goal. Mm -hmm. The goal is about your thinking about the goal. The goals about what you do as a result of the goal. The goals about, again, what motivates you, what excites you. and and so. And it's not about hitting the goal. And again, by the way, earlier on in my career, that but limited me my thoughts about goals because I, if I don't hit the goal, it's bad. You know, no, we're just aiming for this big goal. It's about way more than me, right? And and by the way, as well, when when your business can be about way more than you, people are drawn to it because it's literally true. I care a whole lot about all sorts of people, 
You know, and I, yes, of course, I'm not not caring about myself, but I really, really do care about that. It's very apparent for people who spend enough time with me. They go, I don't think he's not. No, I think it's true. I think it's true <laughs> for little pieces. It's understandable that I don't know. He could be putting that on. You know, it's only 45 minutes. He's been talking. Sure. <laughs> but but years, Johnny knows. Johnny knows. Oh, yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> absolutely. And as we near the end of the podcast, I wanted to just take a few minutes here and just hear about what your future vision is for the student works management program. And I think like something that's popping up a whole bunch is this idea of legacy, what you want to be remembered for. And it's something that I think is really cool to focus on because I think it drives like what your actions are. And you've just been such an amazing leader and amazing mentor for me for so long. Um, yeah, I am just curious, like what your future vision is, what you want to be remembered for, what you want to go and do. One of the things I've, I've learned is, is that, is that there's, there's a, there's a, there's a line, there's a space where, you, you know, your ego can become too much of it. Okay. So, so, so it, it really is overwhelming to think about what we've accomplished here. It really is. So, so it's, it's. I don't like to swim too close to that because it it can fill you up and I don't think you're better than you are, or it doesn't even matter. It just gets you off. You know, it's, it's, it's so, so to me, there's something simple about going to work, being of service, going to work, having another great coaching call, you know, here going, hopefully doing another great podcast, providing value to young people who are looking to make a great life. It's I have done lots of journaling early in my life about what did I want my life to be about, you know, and, and to me, again, it's it's about relationships, about people. It's about my family. It's about my partner. It's about the community and, and things. And so I can look back and I go, I can really tell, hey, I've, I've, I've got my ladder up against the right wall. You know, again, as you know, as long as my integrity stays in, there's there's, you know, and I can't imagine it not because I really spend a lot of time on it. Um, it's going to keep up against that wall. But if we look at, look at, look at student works management program, it's, it's every day going out and being great coaches every day, going out and really caring about our operators, helping them make money, helping them learn, helping them grow, being about them more than us, you know, and, and then over time we keep doing that. Well, Hey, the business will keep growing. Who knows in the future, there may be a third service in the future. Obviously we've largely built Rydell <laughs> and in a great well, uh, you know, love all you, you, you people, but we've, we've sent now, I think it's going to be about 15 operators over to former operators over to Rydell. And there were 8 million last year, this year, the coming year, probably 20, 25 million. Isn't that fantastic that, that we've been part of that, that success. So, so um, I think there's lots in our future that we can help develop, that we can help create, that we can help be part of. And again, but it all comes down one conversation at a time, one recruiting at a time, one training at a time, one, you know, and, and when we think about that, that it's, um, I think there's real power, you know, so, so it's just be happy with what you're doing, go to work, be of service, be of service and um, not getting too caught up in the, the accolades you know, you know, I still, still, you know, best head coach of the year award. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that, Chris. That's, that's amazing. So the final question I have for you, and I don't know if anybody has ever asked you this, but sure. when you think of a leader uh -huh. of tomorrow, what comes to mind? 
Oh, wow. That's great. I never actually thought of answering this question. So that's fun. And uh, so when I think of a leader of tomorrow, I think of someone who's, again, thinking a lot bigger than themselves, because life is about thinking a lot bigger than ourselves. So, so it's thinking about, hey, how are we impacting the community? How are we impacting our families? How are we impacting our friends? How, you know, just, just a broader thought about a business. You know, it's, it's you know, they, it's very clear. The stats show that once you're earning above, I think, 70,000, now with inflation, maybe it's 100,000. There's no difference in your happiness associated with your wealth and associated with your income. So what are you doing that's going to make you happy? What are you going to do that's going to, and by the way, even happiness doesn't get created by going after happiness. Happiness is created by being of service, making contribution, learning more. Will you know in in these these? It's 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 value based. So when I think of a leader of tomorrow, they're value based. They're really thinking about again, as I talked about earlier, getting that ladder on the right wall, going up the right you know, uh, um, going after the right goals, going after them in the right way. Okay. Hey, maybe we can hit better targets, but we're cheating somebody or cheating, you know, something. Well, in the end, that's going to catch up with us. So it's like, how do we do that with full integrity, you know, and, and, and really, um, you know, a commitment to doing it the best we can doing something that as, as I like to say, often my mom would be proud of, <laughs> you know, want to make mom and dad proud. So, so, so I think that's how a leader of tomorrow, um, is, 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 is going to be thinking. And then of course, leaders of tomorrow are going to be facing these really enormous challenges slash opportunities, you know, AI, you know, environmental, uh, opportunities and, 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 and threats, um, you know, economic threats, you know, uh, you know, et cetera, all these things that, that, that are there and, you know, leaders of tomorrow, I believe, again, I'm an optimist and believe in the, the, the people, uh, uh, in the leaders of today that we're going to figure, we're going to figure these things out. Um, and, uh, that's that's where I'm 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 planting my flag. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Well, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to do this, and thank you so much for everything you've done for me and for thousands of students. I know, like, if we could all just say thank you right now, I'm sure everybody would be here going like, "Thank you!" It'd be this enormous scream. So, thank you so much for just like making this your life's mission. I know you've changed my life and so many others. So, just thank you, and yeah, thanks again for the opportunity to get to ask you all these questions. Awesome. Well, it's been great fun, John, and you've done a, a great job. And uh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked you, I know this has come up in conversation with people and it's like, Hey, maybe John or Devin or Pat could do this, John. Great job today. So thanks for making a contribution for our 300th episode. So well done. Appreciate it, Chris. Okay. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast 
interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.